you're listening to sermons from Grace Bible Church in Eufaula, Oklahoma. We're a church on mission to glorify God by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Learn more at gbcufaula.com. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 1 John. We'll be, we'll starting in being, we'll be starting in verse 5 of chapter 1. And the title of this sermon is Walking in the Light. And, you know, I, I, was, I was trying to make it to verse 10, so that way it would leave Eric a really nice, easy sermon for next week, but it just didn't happen. I made it to verse 7. So we'll be in verses 5 through 7 in chapter 1. And the, like I said, the, the title of this sermon is Walking in the Light. And let's, let's read the Word of God and then we'll pray. But we're going to read verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. God, again, I thank you so much for the time to be able to study this set of scriptures. God, I pray that as... We come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We understand what it is to live a life in Christ and to walk in the light of Christ and to follow his truths, his commandments. God, this is not just lip service that we give, but God, let it be our heart service. God, as your word and your gospel and your grace has changed us and caused us to become alive, and now may we walk according to your commandments, out of love for you. Lord, I pray that if someone does not have fellowship with you here today, that they would understand what that is and that you would place on their heart to desire it and that they would come to the knowledge of Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So John, like I said last couple weeks ago, that John is writing this message so that we may know that we are saved and are being saved. Last week, Pastor Eric preached through uh, verses 1 through 4, and we really saw how John wants us to have joy. And in order to have that joy, that it's not just something out there, but that joy would be made complete in us. And in order to do that, we see back in verse 3, if you have your Bibles, that we are to have fellowship that we would have fellowship with one another, and that we would have fellowship with God. And so this is why he is proclaiming this message that he has seen and heard, so that we would have fellowship with one another and fellowship with God. So now as we move into verses 5 through 10, John is really showing us what fellowship is not. And I, I, I really enjoy when someone then says, here, this is what this is, and this is what this is not. So you can really see this as you 
look in your Bibles as you go through verses 5 through 10, I want you to underline something. Every time he says, if we say, if we say, if we say, it's kind of like an if-then clause. And then he gives an explanation underneath that. Very important that we understand that. If we say, so he does it in verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10. So right off the bat, he is giving us three tests to make sure that we have true fellowship with God. And if we have true fellowship with God, then it's going to manifest itself in how we walk in God's light and truth. And it's also going to manifest how we have fellowship with one another. Now, I have to admit, it's not Pastor Eric and I's goal for, as we go through this sermon series, to make everyone feel like they are unsaved as they walk out of here. That is not our goal, okay? But it is our goal today, and as we go through this, that we would feel the effect of the truth about God and knowing what it is to have fellowship with God. You see, this fellowship with God is a journey throughout life, our entire life. There are going to be times when we go through this journey that there's going to be really high ups. And there's going to be times in this journey where we have really low lows. Like I mentioned before, this is one of the biggest struggles in my life. How do I know that I know that I know I'm a Christian? How do I know that I've gotten a hold of the real thing? You see, I felt this way because I was a young Christian. And I was just really just a young human being. So you can just imagine, like, you know, if you have any teenagers, I mean, it's like they got some highs and they got some lows, right? Well, that's how I felt in my Christian life. Because as I looked around, I saw people that, you know, that, that confessed Jesus as Lord and man, they just had this like crazy joy. And so I'm like, well, how do I know that I'm a, I, I look at their life and I go, okay, they got amazing joy. And so I'd ask them, hey, what's that joy? You know, what are you doing? Oh man, I just, I just know. I'm like, how do you know? Like, how, you know, it's, it's something that I wanted in my life. And I was very, I was very objective. I'm still a very objective person. So I started questioning myself. Am I, even, am I even in the same building as them? Am I in the same religion as them? So it ultimately it led me to the question is, how do I know I have fellowship with God? Now, it's very important that we understand what that word fellowship is. It's a very interesting word. You see, John uses it multiple times just in chapter 1. He does it twice in verse 3, and then he uses it again in verse 6. So this word fellowship, which is koinonia, it means unity. It's sharing in the same interest, the same communion, and the same association. It's to have a close Fellowship. It's something that is so close, you have something that's knitted and united together in the same common thread. 
So when it is used, it means that we share something in common with God. And it is this fellowship that brings our joy to completion, which is another way of saying you got a hold of the real thing. So today, I really have two questions that it leads us to. It leads us to the question of what is fellowship that produces joy? And the next question is, how do you know that you have it? And so, question one, what is this fellowship with God and what does it mean? You see, the short answer to what fellowship is with God is that Christ has been manifested in your life. And now you have a relationship with God because you have come to believe in the the life, sacrificial death of Christ, which brings you into a relationship with God, the Father, through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that relationship then has been sealed by the Holy Spirit that's now abiding in you. And as you live your life day in and day out, and as you sleep, even when you sleep, and even when you wake, the Holy Spirit is abiding in you. Your life now has been so radically changed, so much so that the Bible describes it as something that is, was dead and now is made alive. And as once being a slave, You have now been set free. And this all happens because Christ has manifested himself and his work in your life. And now you believe and you are radically changed. You can't be the same. You can't turn back and go down the old dirt roads that you once did. You are now on the highway for Christ. You've been freed. You've been made alive. You've been brought into now unity with God. That's what fellowship with God is. And that is why John has been so adamant, so adamant that he he is showing that he has witnessed Jesus Christ in the flesh. I mean, what greater witness can you have on the stand than an eyewitness testimony to the act that has happened? That's why John says, this is what we have seen. This is what we have heard. I've I've laid my hands on Jesus Christ. You can believe my eyewitness testimony. He's, He's showing all this saying that Jesus has paid for our sins. If we believe on him, he's taken our punishment at the cross and he's taken God's wrath because he stood in our place. Why? So that he can call you his bride. See, that's that's great fellowship. That's a great sacrifice to bring us into that fellowship. And the best way I can get you to see what this fellowship with God is, is to actually look at a marriage. I want you to imagine a couple, husband and wife, kind of holding hands, walking down the street, on the sidewalk on a nice, beautiful, not 100 degree day. Okay, about 70 and sunny. 
and the husband looks at his wife as holding his hand, you know, she's, of course, not paying any attention to him, but, you know, he's holding her hands, he looks at her, and he's thinking, man, what a beautiful, amazing wife. So he stops, turns around, she's like, what are you doing? And he hugs her, and he kisses her. He says, I love you. You're an amazing wife. You see, this type of affection doesn't mean that they were any more married than before he showed that, that love. It's a way that he shows that he's in a relationship with her. That he's in a unified marriage that's been knit together and it has communion. He wants to express his love with his wife. You see, that's what it means to be in fellowship with God as we look to Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we see his sacrifice as he purchased us from slavery and of sin and called us to come to life spiritually. We are now in communion with God through his son, Jesus Christ, who has manifested himself to us. And now, and now, and now we show our affection towards him as we go about living our life, saying, I love you for what you have done for me. You see, once we realize what true fellowship is, it means that as we start showing these affections, we start giving God glory. That's what showing our faith, it, it's, it's raising the magnificence of Christ in our life and what he has done at the work, at the cross. You're magnifying him by humbling yourself, by loving him, thinking more of him than of yourself. You're giving him glory. That's why in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, if you read that amazing chapter, He's talking about how even though you were tempted and even though those around you were practicing paganism and are living by worldly standards, we are to follow after God by glorifying him in all that we do. Whether we eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. But you might even go further and ask, what does that look like? And I think we get the understanding of what that looks like when we look at the term glorify. It means that you are to esteem and magnify and acknowledge God's character and nature above your own. You are to be like that husband that Paul talks about in Ephesians that loves his wife more than himself. Why would he say that? Why would he just not say, love your wife? Why does he go a step further and say, love your wife more than yourself? He says that because your marriage is a walking and living illustration of what you believe about God. It's a representation of the way Christ loved the church, his bride, which he purchased with his life. Now, the question that 
kind of leads us. Does this mean we are going to be perfect? And the answer is no. John is very clear on that. Just like a marriage, there's going to be times when things are just going really good. You're like, man, I can't mess up. But then events happen in life. Your kids get older, become teenagers. You're busy all the time. And you realize, man, there, there's some bumps in the road sometimes. Big bumps. But that doesn't mean you just throw your marriage out the door, does it? Like it never, ever happened. You continue in it. You work at it. You put time into it. You pray for it. And that is what we are to do with our relationship and fellowship with God. When there are bumps in the road, you, it's not like you just throw it out the window like it never happened. You continue in it. You work at it. You pray in it. You study it. You meditate on it. You, you're focused on it. You see, there are so many times I've, I've spoken with people that something is not going their way or they've lost stuff in life or they've been offended by another person. And, and you, you talk with them and their focus and their concern is that they are more worried and concerned with righting the wrong. They're so focused on their own wounds and injuries that have occurred to them. Now, I, 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 I pause here because I'm not saying that if you get wronged and someone has broken the law that you shouldn't be concerned with seeking out justice. That, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is sometimes we get so concerned about our own wounds and about our own problems that we start giving them glory. We, we, we start getting more concerned about what we have lost than what we have gained in Christ. We, we're, we are more focused on our own wounds than the wounds of Christ and what he has given us. And when that occurs, we start directing our path and we start walking in the wrong direction. We start giving glory to ourselves, searching out glory for ourselves, looking to build our kingdom for ourselves. I've seen this over and over as people have come into the church and we have encouraged them, we have prayed for them, we have prayed for their children and their illnesses and that God would bless them and then their prayers get answered and we're like, praise God. Then they walk out those doors and never return. They go right back into doing and living how they were. Nothing has changed in their life. And what's worse is when you run into them, you ask them, hey man, dude, praise God he answered that prayer. Hey, I haven't seen you in church in a while. And they say, oh yeah, you know, I have a relationship with God, so I really don't have to go. Your heart's broken. They go about acting like what they do doesn't matter. They keep living in darkness, thinking they have fellowship with God, when in fact they are lying to themselves because they do not practice the truth. And that is why John in verses 5 and 6 shows us that what we do matters. How we live our life matters. Because if we say we have fellowship with God and yet we continue to walk in darkness, 
Then John lays it out on the black part of the page. You don't have fellowship with God. It's not in the white parts. Your fellowship with God is obstructed. It's impeded. What's worse, it's non-existent. So, if we have fellowship with God, and we say we have fellowship with God, then the second question is, how do you know you have the real thing? Verses 5 and 6. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We see here that John is really, he's just being a phenomenal pastor. A phenomenal pastor. You see, he's concerned with the flock. He doesn't want anything or anybody coming in and teaching false doctrine or impeding the walk of the sheep, or even worse, leading them astray. I'll re- you know, you can read the second and third epistle, and you'll see he is dealing strictly with people that have come in that are trying to mislead the flock and going against the apostles' teaching. And he is just, I mean, confronting them head on. And the thing that John's getting out and confronting head on right here in verse 5 of his first epistle is you don't get to give just lip service. You don't get to give just lip service. You don't get, just get to say, I believe in Jesus, and then walk out the door like nothing matters, or going about teaching and believing what you think is right, but it contradicts the Bible, or just to say, hey, I prayed a prayer, and walk out there and never pray again. You don't just get to give lip service. We saw that in the book of James, that faith without works is dead. It's dead. And this is John's way of saying the exact same thing. You see, he goes on in verse 5 that he, he describes God as light. And in him is no darkness at all. So if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. Why? Because we do not practice the truth. So what he has done here is he has addressed the false teachers in his day of Gnosticism, kind of the beginnings of Gnosticism, which, again, if you've been here over the last couple weeks, we've kind of hit it, but just a quick review, it's the idea of Gnosticism is the idea that the flesh doesn't matter. So you can say, I believe in Jesus, and then walk out those doors and live a life however you want to in the flesh because the flesh doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is spiritual. We understand the flesh is bad, so Go live your life in the flesh. It doesn't matter as long as you say, I believe in Jesus. So that's what was popping up in his time. And we can ask ourselves, is that happening today? Absolutely. Absolutely. All across churches. So he's directly confronting that false doctrine by saying that God, who is light, is the source of all truth. Now, Look with me here at verses uh, 5 and 6 again. We see here that he, 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 how he's referencing light and darkness in verse 5. 
Then in verse 6, he says, darkness and truth. So what we see here that really what he's showing is, is that the light is representing and opening up the truth. So light and truth are very synonymous. Uh, yeah, you get what I'm saying. So I think John chose the word light in verse 5 because it reveals how our joy can be made complete from verse 4. You might ask, how does that work? Well, it's pretty easy. I have a quick illustration here. You see, the light reveals the dangers of darkness. So several months ago, and this has happened multiple times, it's in the middle of the night, I get up out of bed, and for some reason, I don't know why, I've done it so many times, our bedpost sticks out just a little bit from our mattress. And so as I'm getting up, you know, uh, I, I feel my mattress. I'm just, okay, I'm, I'm safe. I know where I'm at, you know, because you just wake up. It's so dark, you know. And so I, I follow my mattress, and then it happens. I hit my pinky toe and break it. <laughs> and I cannot tell you how many times that has happened. And so what I've done now is, and, and, I, and I just, a quick note on that. That didn't bring any joy to my life. Okay? It didn't bring any joy to my wife's life either as I screamed. And as I woke her up. That was a whole nother not joyous moment. But anyway, um, now it's like when I get up, it's like my phone's right there. And I just grab my phone. Oh, there's that bedpost, you know? And I walk around it. You see, we all understand that story. And when John uses the word light here, he's, he's really bringing focus in on the dangers ahead, negatively, what's ahead. But he's also revealing a positively the truth. And all this is found in God when we want to know the truth, the real truth, because in him is no darkness at all. But we have to ask the question, what does it mean to walk in darkness? If we're going to walk in light, you need kind of the opposite to understand what it is walking in darkness that John's referencing here. Because we have to know this to pass the test. But it's not only about passing a test. Okay, we have to understand that. It's about having a deeper fellowship with God. Because we can't have fellowship, John says, if we're walking in darkness. And even though he doesn't say it here, he brings up in chapter 2, and I just want to jump there. So if you flip over to verses eight, uh, John 2, 8 through 11, we see what it is about walking in darkness, because he also mentions it in 8 and 11, and we'll jump to 15 and 17, through 17. Okay, 1 John 2, 8 through 11. At the same time, it is a new commandment I am writing to you, which is true in him and, and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. 
Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He goes on in verse 15 now. Jump down there. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So what John does here is again, he's given us a love test. He tells us whoever hates his brother is not in the light. It's marked, and that word hate, it's marked by a continuous lifestyle of hate. Okay? So if you say you've been born again, but your lifestyle represents hate, then you do not have fellowship because you're still in darkness. And a quick check on that is like when something happens, do you go from a zero to a 10? Or are you experiencing patience, love, kindness, encouragement, gentleness? Is your life marked by that hate? But you might even ask, why so much hate? Why would this person experience so much hate? And I think that's where verses 15 and 17 go. Because you love the world and what it can promise you. You are willing to hate people and step on them for your own gain. You have a love for the world. So what does it mean to walk in darkness? It means you are being controlled by the desires of this world versus the desires of God. That's what it means to walk in darkness. And I love what John Piper says here. He says the reason this is called walking in darkness is that the only way people can desire things more than God is that they are blinded to the light of God. They would rather choose gravel over diamonds. You will have to be blind to choose that. And he is absolutely right. When you see the beauty of Jesus Christ, how he is the light of the world, who, and it says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Why? But will have the light of life. You would have to be blind to choose gravel over eternal life with Jesus, which is a diamond. Why would you be tormented to try to build your own kingdom when you can serve the king of kings. You would just have to be blind. Are you blind today? Are you walking in darkness? Are you loving the world more than Christ? Are you looking to serve yourself versus others? That's what John is saying. That is walking in darkness. But there's another option. We can walk in the light. And that's, look what John tells us. He says in verse 6, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
Now go to verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. You see, if we are to walk in the light, he names that there's two factors here. By trusting and believing in Jesus that he is the source of light and in him is eternal life. If you believe that and you are walking in that, you're going to have two factors that you can measure in your life. Two factors. He says here, we are going to have fellowship with one another and that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, walking in the light means that there's going to be a lifestyle change in your life. When you truly have been born again and you have grasped what has happened in your life, that God, the creator of heaven and earth, has given you grace, it's going to change your life. When you understand that you deserve the wrath of God and God instead has said, now you are not under my wrath, but now you are a child of God. That process, once you grasp that, changes everything. See, when you understand what grace truly is and how it enters your life, you're going to want to give more than just lip service. If you're bored in church, hang on, because this is going to change your life. You're going to enter into a honeymoon stage with God, just like in a marriage, for the rest of your life. I'm not kidding. When God's light brings that truth into your life, you're going to want to walk and talk about it. You're going to want to fellowship with the same like-minded people so you can talk and discuss and study and worship God who brings truth and who has manifested that truth in your life. That's what he means when he says with one another. You're going to want to have fellowship with God and you're going to want to have fellowship with one another as believers in Christ. That's what one another means as he, I think, is referencing that from verse 3. And this, this truth resonates throughout all of Scripture. Look at Acts 2, 42. He says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. What kind of fellowship is that? They were wanting to follow God's people. They were wanting to follow the apostles. They wanted to be taught the word of God. They wanted to fellowship together. They wanted to take that fellowship into their home and break bread together. They wanted to meet together and pray together. They wanted to worship God by walking in the light of Jesus. The second thing here that John says as we continue to walk in the light is that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all of our sins. I love that this pastor and apostle put this here because this is a game, game changer if you struggle like you don't measure up. What John is saying here is that as you live your life, that's what walking means, as you're living your life, it's not going to be perfect. But you're going to go about your life under the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice that is going to be continually covering you and sanctifying you. 
And that's exactly what he means by cleanse. You see that word cleanse right here? It's in the present tense. So what that means, it's, it's constantly ongoing. It's ever-present. Which means that your sins yesterday, today, and tomorrow, if you believe in Jesus Christ and you have fellowship with God, His blood is covering your sins. Man, that is the greatest truth. That is one of the hardest struggles in life. And that is why Paul in Romans 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How can he say that? Because the blood of Jesus Christ continually covers your sin. That doesn't mean it's not going to be a battle. Galatians 5.17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. It's going to be a battle. It's going to be a battle. But you might still ask the question, well, why do I not feel like I don't measure up? Or why do I feel like I don't measure up? And this is a hard truth, so hang on. The reason you feel that you don't measure up is because you don't, and you never will. Think about that. Pause right there. That's a truth that some of you are going to think that makes no sense at all. Now, just stay with me for a minute here, okay, because this is a big point. Because some of you feel that you don't measure up because you're looking at God in all the wrong ways. You're thinking that when he looks down upon you and he sees your sin, that we're just playing a -a whack-a-mole game and that God is constantly carrying that hammer that says, boom, you sin, get down. You know, boom, stay humble. Boom, be gentle. Boom, be patient. Right? And the reason why you feel that way is because you fully don't understand God's grace as He has given it through His Son to cleanse you yesterday, today, and tomorrow from your sin. You see, God not only justified you as you were born again and as you believed in Him, He says He's made you right before Him but he is also sanctifying you, okay? And what that means is he is continually saving you and purifying you to purge the sin from your life. That's what sanctification means. This does not mean you're going to be perfect, but that's what several people like to say. Well, if you're not perfect, and if you don't go through this perfect period of without sin, and you sin, oh, you lost your right standing before God. You see, they have intertwined God's uh, justification and sanctification. They think you have to have be perfectly sanctified in order to be made right before God. But that's not what John is saying. John's saying you're not going to be perfect. That's why the blood of Jesus is going to constantly and continually cleanse you. 
See, I love this word cleanse because we see it again in Hebrews 9.14. He says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God? Wow. Wow. Who purified Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. See that word purify there? Same word as cleanse, catharizo. But there's a little twist here. It's in the future tense. You get that? He's purifying us today and tomorrow through the blood of Jesus Christ. That he's purifying our conscience from dead works. Why? So that we may serve the living God. This is, and what he is showing, the author of Hebrews and John, that this is an ongoing process as we walk in the light. So what John is, as we walk in the light, and his truth, even though we fell, John goes on to say, you're going to live a life now of repentance, looking to Jesus, living in his life, and his blood is going to be constantly and continually cleansing us that, so that we may heal the sin and that we may practice serving the living God. That's why he goes on in 1 John 3, 8 through 10, that, that we now don't have a practice of, of continually sinning, but we have a practice of continually serving the Lord as we walk in light. Because God's seed abides in us. So in conclusion, I have a great illustration here. It's a little long, so hang on. You see, in 1678, John Bunyan wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, the first part of it. And it's a great work that presents a righteous man's journey through life. And I think this relates to us so well. So we see that there was this man named Christian. And Christian, as he comes into knowledge of some information, he leaves his home, which is called the City of Destruction, and embarks on a pilgrimage to the Celestial City. Christian is riddled with a burden of sins that he sets out to find relief for. He's guided by a man, evangelist, and he heads to the wicket gate, but stumbles in the slough of despond, which is just a swamp of despond and disparity. So Christian, as he's stuck in this swamp, he's rescued by a man named Help. However, he seeks advice from Mr. Worldly Wise Man, which leads him astray. But he runs again back into Evangelist, who helps redirect him to the right path. And throughout his journey, Christian encounters various trials and individuals, including the interpreter, who provides spiritual instruction. A turning point occurs when he reaches a cross and his burden falls away. He's handed a sealed scroll by the Shining Ones, a pass for the celestial gate. 
And on his way to the celestial city, Christian faces battles, hardships, and dangers, including a confrontation with the monster Apollyon. He reaches vanity, where he and his companion Faithful are arrested for their indifference to the temptation of the fair. Unfortunately, Faithful is martyred, while Christian endures imprisonment but later escapes. But Christian continues his journey with Hopeful, and faces further challenges, including a treacherous detour and imprisonment in Doubting Castle. They ultimately find rescue and reach the delectable mountains where they are guided back to the right path. And finally, they must cross a testing river and present their scrolls to enter the celestial city. Throughout Christian's journey, we see that he, that he is constantly mirroring these spiritual truths and challenges that are faced by believers all throughout history. Just a few of the spiritual truths that this amazing story relates to us is that the journey, that there is a journey of salvation. You're going to go through and feel like you're in the city of destruction, but you must repent on your way to the celestial city. That you're going to be burdened by sin. You might even have members that are martyred on the way. You might even one day be imprisoned for the faith. But you have been handed the gospel, the message, the good news of salvation, which is the past by believing in Jesus Christ that gets you through the gate. There's going to be temptations and trials. You're going to feel like you're in a swamp, that you're at vanity fair, Fair, you're at, you live at Doubting Castle, and you got to cross that valley of the shadow of death. All are obstacles that are going to test our faith on the way. But you see that he does this journey, and he's redirected when his path has gone astray, by, because he has fellowship and community with other believers. There's been divine guidance that the interpreter which guides the, the believer, which is the Bible. But he finally enters those gates, that straight and narrow path. All because there is grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for today. God, the truth of what it is to walk in light. God, when there's so much darkness and there's so much false wisdom that says that we need to go build our own kingdom, that we need to seek after ourselves, God, may we seek the truth. May we live in the light May we have grace and mercy as we go about knowing that we are not perfect, but we look to the one who is Jesus Christ. May that truth go forth. May that truth be believed. God, may that truth cause others who are dead in their sins and trespasses to become alive in Jesus Christ. God, send your spirit here today to cause us to be freed from sin, to be sanctified and purified because of the seed that abides in us, the spirit that you have sent because of Christ on the cross. God, that may we become overcomers of sin and be sanctified in Jesus Christ. 
God, may we love you as a church. May we fellowship. May the two factors that we live in the light of Jesus Christ and his blood and his sacrifice, and may we have fellowship with others. May that truth and those factors be found in our life as we come to love you more and more each and every day. Be with us now as we come to worship. In Jesus' name, amen.